like going out to South Dakota <laughs> with like a hundred bucks and like my little Honda Civic, like meeting with women and interviewing them and sitting with them and asking them, how would you like to be represented in a photograph? Welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Cole Primo. And I'm your other host, Leah Lem. Thank you for joining us. Me, Gwaitch. Native Lights is a place for Native folks to tell our stories. We talk to great folks in and around Minnesota with a Minnesota connection. And we talk to cool people doing work in many different sectors, like the arts, in academia, in media, and so many others. So we make sure to talk about how we use our gifts and share our gifts with the community. And it all centers around finding our purpose in our lives. So another day, another great day to share mm-hmm. and amplify Native voices. How's it going, Cole? It's going great. I actually have a kind of a dramatic story. <gasps> we we went up to Grand Marais for the weekend. Oh, beautiful. And maybe it's karma that I, I wasn't able to swing by your place and see y'all, but... <laughs> okay. Grand Rapids is not a swing-byable no, place not. between the cities not. and Grand Marais. <laughs> so after like a, a four and a half hour drive back and we were passing underneath like this train bridge on 35W South mm-hmm. and I saw somebody up there. <gasps> Somebody's doing something up there. And for a brief second, I'm like, maybe they'll throw something off the bridge. And then a second, I'm kidding you not, a second later, something hits our car, our hood, and then hits the windshield. (gasps) And thankfully, nothing like broke through, but somebody threw something off that dang bridge. That is very scary because you're just minding your own business. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, boom. And you know, if you're on 35, then you're going, what, 70? Mm-hmm. It's just a you know reminder. Be uh, be ever aware of your surroundings. Mm-hmm. But that's my little story. Oof-da. How are you? How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. So we have the honor of talking with Oglala Lakota artist Jada Gray Eagle today. Nice. She's out of St. Paul, Minnesota. Jada is a photojournalist, a writer a beadwork artist, and more. So I'm stoked. Yeah. She's a Report for America fellow with the Sahan Journal, which covers communities of color in the Twin Cities and is a really great source of news. She's also researching indigenous photography at the Minneapolis Institute of Arts. Her work has also appeared in the New York Times. Oh, wow. A Vogue. Oh, what? And of course, Indian Country Today. So, (laughs) yeah, exactly. So she has, Jada has a impressive bio. So, uh, yeah, excited for Jada today. And uh, here she is. Hi, Jada. Hi. Howdy. Hey, Jada, how's it going? It's going great. How's it going with you? Good. Excellent. All right, Buju, Jada, uh, could you please introduce yourself, you know, and where you're joining us from? Yeah, so Hanmadakiape, Matopajuta Machiape. My name is Jada Gray Eagle. I am Oglala Lakota, 
and I am joining you today from St. Paul, Minnesota. Very nice, very nice. How are you doing? How is your family doing during uh, the pandemic? Good. Um, everybody in my house has a cold right now, which is like, it's it's kind of scary to have a cold during this time. Um, Nurses aren't, you know, what they used to be. So, you know, we all had to go get tested and everything, but everybody's okay. It's just that change of the season type cold. So, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is that time of year though. So Jada, um, uh, we always like to ask like, what's on the top of your mind today? What are you, what are you thinking about? Yeah. So, I am actually getting ready to go to New York City this weekend. I'm I'm a little scared to travel right now, but you know, I'm going to do it because mm-hmm. I have a an exhibition at Photoville in Brooklyn um, that I have not had the opportunity to see in person yet. And it is my best friend's birthday, so she is meeting us in New York City. So it's kind of at the top of my head. It's what's getting me through the week. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us a bit about the exhibition then? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a part of this online community database called Indigenous Photographs. And I had done this series of cyanotypes, um, which are, you know, an older photographic technique where you make... Um, these really beautiful blue photographs from from negatives. It's essentially a chemical base that you mix together and you can make anything photosensitive. Like you can make fabric photosensitive, you can make paper. So I had made a bunch of watercolor paper cyanotypes and I had printed um, images of protest over the past year because I work as a full-time photojournalist um, and I intermix it with wildflowers um, And I had done that for Augsburg galleries um, here in town. And um, so Indigenous Photographs had reached out to me and asked me if I would like to have a spot at Photoville as well. So Photoville is a really unique um, opportunity because I think it's like kind of photographers a chance to be super creative. And, you know, I was being super creative with my my cyanotypes. And so that's, that's what I have there. I have, um, like it's a printed cube. So it's an outdoor exhibition. So it's on that walkway to the Brooklyn bridge. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And people have been sending me pictures and you can like see the New York city skyline behind behind my cube. And I'm showing with two really incredible other indigenous photographers and yeah, it's pretty exciting. Have you gotten any feedback from the exhibit? I get messages almost daily on Instagram. Oh, um, I just get like, you know, pictures of people uh, like posing with my work and like telling me that they love it. And yeah, it's it's connected me to like a lot of people over Instagram. So that's kind of surprising, but it's cool. And and you mentioned that the, the subject matter was um, of demonstrations? Yeah. Um, images of protest from, you know, uh, ranging from, you know, Dalal Eid, George Floyd, um, Winston Smith, and then, um, images from, uh, stop line three protests from missing and murdered indigenous women. And, and I overlaid, um, wildflowers into it and and the show I I called rooted because I talked about what it's like to be an indigenous woman and and cover 
these types of things, like knowing whose land we're on, you know, knowing my history, knowing our collective history together, along with the city's history currently, and just kind of intermixing all of those mediums together. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. And today we're speaking with Jada Gray Eagle, Oglala Lakota artist living in St. Paul. So Jada, we always like to make sure to talk about how you got into your work um, and way of life, I suppose. Uh, Is there something that particularly draws you draws you into photography? That is always a really interesting question because I don't really know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been photographing since I was a little kid. Like I, I remember I had a a Game Boy camera and that was like one of my first cameras. Um, I had, they, they had cameras on them. Yeah, they. It was I forgot that. It was like a cartridge, and then you would put it in the back of the Game Boy, uh. and then it had a little like an eye for a camera. So I used to make like stories. Like I used to have my siblings kind of like pose, and I would like print it out and make comic books with my siblings <laughs> being the subjects awesome. with my Game Boy camera. And so I don't know. I've just always loved storytelling with a camera, um, and it's so funny. Uh, you know, then I went to Polaroid, then I went to film, then I went to digital. I think I got my first digital camera when I was 17. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I don't, I honestly don't know what it is. I think it's the storytelling within photography that, that draws me to it. And I've always wanted to be a photojournalist, but ever since I was very young, everybody's always told me that that's, that's so hard to do. You know, that's just people can't make it as photographers. You can't make it as a photojournalist. And like, it's not even that making it was like a thing for me. Like, you know, whatever that means, that that was never, that was never in my mind to draw me to doing what I do. Um, It was just about being able to be in those moments and being able to photograph. Um, And so it was actually, you know, 2019, I applied for a fellowship with the Report for America program. And I got a, a job as a full-time photojournalist here in the Twin Cities at the Sahan mm-hmm. Journal. Um, and I've been doing it for two years to sign my second year contract, going into it. And so, you know, it, it just kind of takes somebody to believe in you and believe in like your vision. And, and that's what I got. So That's fantastic. And so um, working at Sahan then, do you feel like you have mentors and uh, other ways, others support them? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So the first year that I was with Report for America, I actually had a really incredible mentor named Nina Robinson. Um, And she is just so wonderful. And she showed me a lot of the ropes. But not only that, a lot of the local photographers here are just like super brilliant and really friendly people. It's probably like the most welcoming community I've ever been a part of is the local photographers. Um, which I guess is not the case other places. I've heard other places can be pretty competitive, but it's, it, I don't, I don't feel that way about the Twin Cities at all. Um, it's just been, really? yeah, it's just been really incredible. You know, I think every time a photo editor reaches out to me, I'm just like, really? <laughs> um, so uh, last week or the week before, I'm forgetting time these days, but um mm-hmm. 
you know, I got reached out to by Vogue to photograph Awamni um, and and Sean Sherman and, and Dana Thompson for Awamni. And every time I work with a different publication or every time I work with a different photo editor, they're always teaching me something. Um, they always are just really generous with their time. You know, I mean, even just like hiring a local photographer, I think is kind of a new thing that publications are, are doing and they're trying. And it's, it's so interesting to me that they're, they're looking for somebody who's a part of the community. And so I think that that shows how thoughtful people are, are changing the ways that they are currently. So I saw in your bio that you are co-producing a documentary, Sisters Rising documentary. Yeah. You want to talk about that at all? Can you give us a, a summary of what that is? Yeah, yeah. So that is actually, it's out now. Um, it premiered last year um, and it's kind of been on like a festival run, kind of, you know, traveling to to universities and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I, I co-produced that and it's, it, I think it's super interesting how I got involved. Um, I'll, I'll talk about the film a little bit and then I'll talk about how I, I got involved. But, uh, you know, it, it features six Indigenous women and they're contributions to the community on fighting back against violence against Indigenous women. And they're all like so incredible that every time people reach out to the filmmakers and they're like, hey, do you guys want to do a panel? I'm like, please reach out to the women in the film Mm -hmm. because they have all of the answers to your questions that you have because they are so freaking brilliant. Um, I just, you know, they're, they're so inspiring and they're just so strong and they're so, um, they're just really beautiful people. And, and, uh, I think it's it's interesting how I got involved because this was my first time producing and I had met the filmmakers through a mutual friend and they wanted to interview us, like just my sisters and I. And I was like, no, you can interview my mom because my, <laughs> my mom um, had done quite a bit of work working with women on our reservation as a drug and alcohol counselor. And she always talked about just the really incredible stories of survivance that the women on our reservation had. And so I was like, she has really interesting stories, particularly about women. So, so interview her. Um, and so they did, but what was funny is, you know, they, they came to my mom's house, the filmmakers, Brad and Willow, and they start interviewing her. And I was kind of like standing over their shoulders, like, what camera is that? Like, Oh, like, but what about like the light over there? Like, what do you think of that? Like, would that be a little better? Oh, don't ask her this question. I think maybe, you know, you should think about asking her this question. Like I just, and I was like a punk kid. Like I was like 25, you know, like <laughs> they should not have even like, um, you know, listened to me, but they did. And they were like really nice. And then uh, they would travel out to the Dakotas. They would travel up North and they would come back and, we would all talk about their work and talk about the film. And it was like a year later into like this relationship that I had built with them. And they were like, have you ever produced before? And I said, no. (laughs) And then they were like, well, you act like a producer. So I think you should Mm -hmm. come on to the, to this film. And I think you should produce. So initially I was an associate producer And then um, I just, I stayed really involved and I, you know, kept 
going through footage with them, kept going through different, there's so many different iterations of the film that had happened prior to what like ultimately it is now. And then, you know, eventually I moved up to co-producer just because like, I just, I loved the film and I loved the message and I loved everything that had come out of it. And I think it's, I think it's such an important thing to say about um, our communities. So yeah, that's Mm. been my journey with it so far. It's just so meaningful to be heard and in your journey of becoming a part of the project and a co-producer is like when you're talking about the photography scene in the Twin Cities not being competitive, but more supportive. It's like, how far can we go when we're supporting one another, when we're trying to like give of ourselves into a project instead of being shut down? And I think that really can go a long way and create great collaborative art. And the documentary is testament to that. You're passionate about, you know, bringing awareness to Indigenous issues and those particular that impact Indigenous women. Are there, uh, you know, actions, uh, other, you know, things that you're doing uh, with, you know, bringing awareness to that, uh, those issues? It's so funny because... I had gone back to college in 2019 to finally just like get my degree in in photography. And during that time, I had always set out with the intention to photograph women from my tribe. And I had always wanted to do that. It's been a project that I've been talking about for a very long time. And I think it's because I always see Indigenous women depicted in media by white men. And I wanted a series of photographs that were Indigenous women depicted by an Indigenous woman. And Mm -hmm. so um, as a part of, you know, the graduation requirements at the IAI, like the Institute of American Indian Arts, where where I had gone, you have to come up with a senior show. So you have to come up with an entire exhibition of your artwork. And um, I, you know, I was like such a broke college kid, but I was like going out to South Dakota (laughs) with like a hundred bucks and like my little Honda Civic, Mm -hmm. like meeting with women and interviewing them and sitting with them and asking them, how would you like to be represented in a photograph? Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you know, the series was shaped by by myself and by the women who I photographed. And like, I called this series Wea, um, which is, you know, the, the Lakota, Dakota word for, for woman. And I thought that that was more encompassing of what I mean when I say woman, because I don't mean, you know, just like a cis, gendered, straight woman. I mean all like variations of what a woman means. Like, I mean, trans, I mean, two-spirit, I mean, you know, people who identify as, as femmes. Um, Like, it's just like this all-encompassing word that can uh, bring about what this word woman means, but English just really fails in that way, I think. So (laughs) I use the word wea. And so um, I let the women tell me stories about their lives and tell me stories about who they were as, as indigenous women, as Lakota women, as Dakota women. So that series is actually on my website. It's something that I want to keep doing. I just, you know, I haven't had the time and, and COVID, but um, it was my, my graduation project at, at IA. So 
Yeah. It sounds like it was meaningful for you. Yeah, it it absolutely was. I think it was um it was a moment in my life that I deeply cherish. So You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. And today we're speaking with Jada Gray Eagle, Oglala Lakota artist living in St. Paul. So Jada, uh, you, during the interview, have also been multitasking and doing some beadworking. So you're part of the Bee Yellowtail Collective Um could you talk about, you know, that and just how you, you know, just your passion for beadworking? Yeah, for sure. So I come from a beadworking family. Um, I have done beadwork since I was probably five, I think, was when I learned how to daisy chain, um, which is the foundation of beading. <laughs> um, but uh yeah, so my mom, my sisters, all of us do beadwork. Um, but my my mother, and in particular, you know, like my grandmother and stuff, they have always used beadwork as like a, a backup for for funding. I mean, just like for money. And like my it's it's wild to me how much of my growing up I was like. I always joke that I'm made of beads because like how many of my meals were brought to the family by beadwork. And so <laughs> that is poetry. Wow. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I started, uh, you know, kind of assisting my sisters and my mother in their beadwork. And it was kind of like doing your chores was doing beadwork with them. <laughs> Like, so, you know, kids grow up doing dishes, but I, I grew up like edging earrings. So, mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I met, you know, one of my really good friends down at IA, uh, she's my best friend. Her name's, um, Caitlin and she is just like this connoisseur of beads. Like if you name a bead, she can find it for you. <laughs> and, and so she like, gave me like this really big education on antique beads, on vintage beads, on gold, 24 karat plated gold beads. Um, And yeah, she just totally changed my whole world and how I approach beadwork. And so um, I started making these fringe earrings in 2016 and I would just like give them out to my friends, right? Like I would just make them and be like, here you go, here, have this, like I made this for you. And then it was like, I think half a year later, um, the Yellowtail had a call out for artists. And so I entered like, and I was like, oh, these are kind of basic. Like these are just like fringe earrings, like whatever. They're just gonna probably not accept me, but I got accepted like a day later. They're like, oh my God, we want your earrings. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've gotten very slow at making them lately though, just because, you know, I'm like life has just been very, very busy lately with, um, with photojournalism and like all of the other stuff that I do. So um, I'm probably only making like a pair a week now, but um, I'm still beating. I swear. <laughs> I just so slow. <laughs> is there like a perfect environment for you to you know, do the beadworking or is it just whenever you get the chance and when Netflix comes out with a really good show is oh <laughs> what makes me bead the most. 
So as we wrap up here, I'd like to talk about encouragement, perhaps, or advice for those who want to explore photography or, or the arts, even in general. Uh, do you have any advice? Yeah, can I actually talk a bit about, because I think I've been given the green light where I can talk about this publicly now. Um, so I am co-curating a, an exhibition at the Minneapolis Institute of Arts on Indigenous photography. Um, oh, I feel like nice. there's going to be a lot of inspiration there for for young kids. So. Oh, great. <laughs> Oh, you heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really great. And so this is open to all ages and experience levels? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, whenever I first came back from the Twin Cities, I um, did a, a fellowship at the at MIA. Um, and they were talking about doing a contemporary Indigenous photography show. And I was like, that sounds great. Like, I think that's wonderful. But also there's historical indigenous photographers that I don't feel like personally have been given the limelight that they deserve. Just in what I've learned from several professors at IA and what I learned just in my own research, um, there have been indigenous photographers since shortly after photography was invented. And people don't know that because immediately everybody's mind, when you talk about indigenous photography, it goes to some person whose name I don't even <laughs> like to bring up. I refuse to say his name um, and I won't. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. Sometimes we use like uh, initials or something. Yeah. But yes, I understand. Mm-hmm. ESC. <laughs> <laughs> um. And yeah, and so it's it's been on these institutions uh, primarily that they have failed to uplift the indigenous community in in our past work. And so um, there have been several indigenous photography shows before this, and I, I want to honor this and not talk about this in a way like, you know, this is the first and only, because it's not. There's been, we're building upon a foundation that's already been laid down. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're just being able to bring it here. And yeah, so I'm, I'm doing that as well. <laughs> Wonderful. When we hear your story, when we hear how you um, have progressed in your career, and, and this is true for so many people, is how much value they place on their mentors and the people that supported them. And so it's, it's, it's nice to be able to highlight that a bit for those who are interested in a, a similar path, you know, their own yeah. path, but similar. Yeah, for sure. Great. Well, thank you, Jada. I hope you have a great rest of the day and that you uh, have a successful beating journey. <laughs> and enjoy the big apple. Well, thank you so much, guys. This was so. This was like the most. This was the best interview I've ever done. Oh, it was just so relaxed. It was great. Y'all let me be. This is wonderful. <laughs> so Jimmy Guage, Jada Gray Eagle. 
Oglala Lakota artist living in St. Paul. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Definitely. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening. Giga Wabaman. Giga Wabaman. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. If you want to hear more Native folks talking about their gifts and finding their purpose, search for Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, wherever you find podcasts, and find all of Minnesota Native News' content at minnesotanativenews.org. 